We just thank God for his goodness, for his faithfulness. And also thank God for the faithfulness of his people. As Paul writes in his letters, he says, when I think about you, he says, my heart wells with gratitude because of your obedience to the Lord. Father, this evening we just come to you. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Even when we were not able to come, you were always there. You are the only one in these ten years, nine years, who have been present in every meeting. Nothing stopped you. Because you were true to your promises. Thank you, Father. Even this evening you are here with us. Now as we come to the teaching, to the ministry of the word, I pray, Father, that you would once again lift us up. From above all that concerns this life on earth, to set aside our fears, our feelings, our problems, our concerns, even our tiredness, so that our minds and our hearts are stayed on you and you alone. Speak to us, Father. Those who are still on the way, if any, Father, I pray you reach them safely. Speak, Father. We wait in your presence, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. It's interesting, Abel started with the worship with saying how difficult it is for us to bend our knee, right? How difficult. Bending our knee is not a very physical act. It's a more of a spiritual act. And today, actually, the whole message is on how do we bend our knee, okay? So we will see. And like I said, different things that struck in his mind, a different thing. You may listen to the whole message and one one line alone you carry with us. I believe many of you may have, I don't know how many of you heard Carl Collins' message on this Sunday. Not a great message, but good message. But one line struck. One line. One line alone I carried with it, which is stunning. Like he said, many people try to serve God or live for God based on the promises they have made to God. But he said, no, we live our life based on the promises he has made to us. And there's a whole lot of difference. That's one line struck in my mind from that whole message. So today, this week, we get back. You know, last week, if you were here on Wednesday, we looked at from the book of Joshua, why Israel failed to possess or to hold on to their possession, the promised land. Why? And we looked at some of the reasons last Wednesday. For us, it's not a promised land. It is a promised life. God has promised us a life. He says you will reign in life. The victorious life that Jesus lived on earth. And that's the life he came to bring us. He says, I have come to give you life, life in abundance. But we too go through the same face of Israel. For some reason, for a few seasons or a season, we enjoy and we thrill in the life of Christ. And then it starts fading. Because we fail to hold on to it. So tonight, we'll continue. We'll not continue from Wednesday, but we'll continue from where we left off on Sunday morning. We saw on Sunday morning how God knows who we are. He knows what we are. We are just dust here today, gone tomorrow, just like the grass. So he knows. That's why even in human experience, on the highest point of human experience on earth, Israel's experience on earth, its greatest day on earth, we see 
how God speaks that night to Solomon. We saw that last Sunday on Second Chronicles. He says, I've heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. I said, I see all this. I see your devotion. I see your love. I see your zeal. I see it all. And I also know who you are. I know this is not going to last. I know, like gravity always pulls you down, your flesh will take you down as a nation. And then, what will I have to do? I will have to shut up heaven and there will be no rain. And command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. And then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. We saw that. We saw that. I looked at Sunday and I tell, that's what uh, Abel was talking about. We get struck at the first gate. We have to bend our knee at that, humble ourselves. God is not going to humble us. He will create all kind of situations to humble us, but we still have to humble ourselves in that situation. There are many in the people in the Bible, including King Uzziah and other kings when God created all kind of situations but they refused to humble themselves and they lived and died as a leper. Though the God of Israel is the only one who has healed lepers. And it is there in their law. And a Syrian could come to Israel and get healed of leprosy but the king of Israel won't bend his knee and he will die in his pride. So we have to humble ourselves. God can allow all these things which is written in verse 13. All these things, I will shut the heavens, I will allow the locusts to come, I will allow pestilence to come. And then my people who are called by my name have to humble themselves and then pray. We don't do this and all this will fail. Our our seeking, our praying, everything will not have much effect if we get stuck at the first gate. Let's look at another portion in the Old Testament and we'll see almost similar what God will say in Isaiah chapter 1. Verse 5. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Verse 16. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. There is something which God does. There is something which we have to do. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the food. You see how consistent Bible is. In James 1.27, scripture says, pure religion is taking care of the orphans and the widows. And they plead for the widow. Basically, says it's absolutely no returns in this. That will show you really where you are. And verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as snow. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And if you come down farther down, But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice. Righteousness lords in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your wine mixed with water. So God says the same thing. This is about Israel. Now let's look at verse 19. The one verse we are very familiar with, where he says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. For us, 
if you're willing and obedient, you shall experience the fullness of Christ, of his life. The first part is willing. This is an internal thing. It's an attitude. It's an internal thing. The second thing is obedience, which is action. That internal attitude called willingness is reflected as humility. It is reflected as meekness. It is reflected as lowliness. Different terms in the Bible. There are internal characteristics and outward characteristics. Some we saw on Sunday morning. The Outward reflection of it is shown in obedience. So again, how do you and I personally, because we now are very familiar with scriptural terms and things which God demands from us. In Hosea, if I'm right, we looked and says, this is what, oh Micah, God says, this is what, oh man, I demand from you. What is that? To walk humbly before me. First thing God says. But how do I judge my humility? How do I know whether it is true or false? Because there's a lot of false humility in the world and in the church in our own lives. And we have mistaken that false humility as the true one. So how do we distinguish whether our humility is false or true? Answer is, true humility will always result in true obedience. There is no humility in the Bible that is appreciated by God which does not result in obedience. The more humble a person is in the Bible, the more obedient also he is. We'll always see. The more humble, meek, lowly, the more obedient he is. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Now God calls Moses the most humble man on earth in his time. After that we do not, but scripture is written, most humble man. And When we turn to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 5, Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. He was also the most obedient. Okay. He was the most humble, he was the most obedient. So true humility will always lead to true obedience. So Jesus will come and tell us the new covenant, learn of me, I am meek and lowly. So there was somebody who was even more humble than Moses, it was Jesus. And the same chapter Hebrews 5 will say, Jesus was faithful in the whole house of God, not just as a servant, but as a son. So immediately you see his faithfulness also there. Faithfulness here reflects the obedience to the commands of God. That is how we judge our humility. Because honestly, people want practical answers. They just don't want theory. They want to know, if this is what God is interested in, then how do I know I am a man or a woman who pleases God? How do I know I am truly humble, simple? Check your obedience to the revealed known commands of God. That is what God promises both in the Old and the New Testament. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land, the fullness of the life of Christ. I personally believe, and I believe I'm right, that before the fall, before the fall, Adam was like God, not in power, but in character. He was humble, he was meek, and he was lowly. 
Okay, how do we know? Because from scripture we know God is meek, He is humble, He is lowly. And in Genesis 1.27, scripture says, God created man, Adam, in his own image. That image of humility. That Adam was humble, he was meek, he was lowly, exactly like God in attitude. Therefore it was very easy for him before the fall to walk with God, to fellowship with God, and above all obey God. It's not difficult at all. Okay, so we will see in Genesis 2 and verse 15, and the Lord took, sorry, not to 15, put him in the garden to work, and then he gave him a, a, a command. Okay, he will, took, and verse 16, not 50, and verse 16 also, 2.16. And the Lord commanded the man. He gave one command. He's humble. He's obedient. Give him a command. Only one command he has to do. Do this and don't do this. After the fall in chapter 3 and verse 11, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you commanded from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Did you disobey me? The first question he asked him basically is, the question asked him, did you disobey me? The only thing demanded from man to live in the abiding presence of God was obedience to God. He says, if you obey me, you can always live in my presence. We can walk together. Now turn to John chapter 15 and verse 10. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. It is very simple. He says, the way we abide with God, we experience the presence of God, is obeying Him. He says, just as I obeyed my Father, and have always abided in the love of my Father. Now if we fast forward this from here to the future, the end, and we see Revelation 22 verse 14, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Those who obey have access to the tree of life through eternity. Access to the city and to the tree of life is given to those who obey. We will see. The Bible is consistent. When Adam and Eve disobeyed what they lost was access to life. The very life of God. And God says, when you obey, you have access back to that life. If disobedience closed the door to the tree of life, now obedience in Christ gives access to the tree of life. And this is consistent in the Bible and it cannot be altered. If you see, for example, from the book of Genesis, if you see Noah, you will see it is written four times in Genesis 6, Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. To those that entered, male and female of the flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Okay? When his obedience was complete, till the last day, he was obedient. And then God shut the door. And you are safe. If God has to entrust his work into the hands of man, 
He needs a man who will obey him implicitly, willingly and unconditionally. And scripture says, Noah obeyed God. He didn't understand all the stuff he was doing. It looked impossible, everything God said. But he obeyed God. This is same is true about Moses too when it comes to the building of the tabernacle. If you see the last three chapters of Exodus, over and over a particular words or part of it is repeated. I'll give you just one instance. In Exodus 39 and verse 32, Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting was finished, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did all. If I'm right, 19 times it is repeated in that three chapters. Over and over, they did all that God had commanded. You will see it being repeated or at the the conclusion of it in the book of Leviticus in chapter 8, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and then over and over and over and over it is written. I'll give you three instances, verse 4. Moses did as the Lord commanded him and as the Lord commanded Moses. Again, Moses, as the Lord commanded. Everything that is being done over there is as the Lord commanded. They are not doing something which somebody has done before. They are not imitating anybody. Everything they are doing is new. But they are doing it exactly as God commanded. And when they did exactly as God commanded, you know how God sanctions it in verse 23 and 24. Scripture says, And Moses and Aaron went to the tabernacle of the meeting, came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. This is how God blessed their obedience. This is chapter 9. We all know what happened in chapter 10. Two guys decided to do their own thing. The high priest's two sons, they did not obey what God had commanded. They tried to approach God in disobedience and they were consumed by the same fire. Okay, we will leave that aside. So we will see this everywhere consistent in the Bible. That every life that glorified God in the Bible and outside. In Hebrews 11 verse 7 will say, no, not uh, 7, the next one. Abraham. By faith, let's leave all this aside. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Simple. By faith, Abraham obeyed. The crowning of Abraham's faith will take place on Mount Moriah. The crowning of Abraham's faith when he will bind his own son and lift the knife. And listen to what God says over there in Genesis 22. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because you have obeyed. He said, because you chose to obey my voice. All nations will be blessed through you. It's a blessing of obedience. You have obeyed my voice. Why will the nations be blessed? Because Abraham obeyed God's voice. It was like impossible for a man to do it, but he did. When Moses leads Israel into the wilderness, in his one of his final addresses, you know, we talk about, I said before you, life and death. 
blessing and curses. Listen exactly to what he says in Deuteronomy 11, 26. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey. If you obey. Says, if you obey the commandments of God, the blessings will come to pass. Their possession of the promised land and the keeping of the promised land was simply connected to obedience. You obey my commands, I will do the rest. We have heard over and over again the word God spoke through prophet Samuel to Saul. But remember what he said once again in First Samuel chapter 10. No, 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 not 10. 15, right? Got it? Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Always. Though Saul will keep saying, keep saying over and over, in verse 13 he will say, I have, not 10, the other one, okay? I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. In verse 20 he will say, I have, he say, he will say, I have performed the command of the Lord. But has he? No. Again he will say, I have performed the command. See, I have. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And God is not even interested at all. God rejects partial obedience as disobedience. He doesn't accept partial obedience. All the Old Testament books, Jeremiah probably encompasses God's heart towards the disobedience of his people. And it is most beautifully summed up in his words in Jeremiah 7. And verse 22 to For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. When I brought you out, or did I talk to you about offerings and sacrifices in the beginning? He said, no, I didn't. But this is what I commanded them saying, obey my voice and I will be your God. Obey my voice? You need to understand what God is saying. God is saying, if you had obeyed my voice, there would have been no need for offerings or sacrifices. Offering and sacrifices are for the disobedient. There would be no need for any peace offering or any, any offering. But this is what I commanded them. Obey my voice and I will be your God. You shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. Since the day your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but they stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. God says all of our sacrifices are subordinate or only measured in the light of our obedience. Mark that words again. Okay. All of our sacrifices are subordinate or only measured in the light of our obedience. If our disobedient, then all the sacrifices, especially Wednesday group, our sacrifice of coming through the traffic and after a long day's work in the tiredness, it's a real sacrifice to come for a meeting in the middle of the city and by the time you go back, it's 9.30, 10, 11. It's sacrifice consistently. But it is only measured in the light of your 
obedience. That's why God says, it's not sacrifice that I want. I want obedience. Now I'm going to tell you something even more slightly hazy, okay? Even the sacrifice of his own son is preeminent only because of his incredible obedience. If Jesus had not been obedient and then died, his death would not have brought salvation. Simple. His death brings salvation because his life was in obedience. Understand that. That is scripture. Jesus was absolutely clear about his purpose, about his life and his death. That his death would be a result of his obedience. That he was not going to live a life of disobedience and then die. But he's going to live a life of incredible obedience and then die as a result of that obedience. That brings salvation. That's why only his death brings salvation. Many, many, many martyrs are there in the in the world of every religion. Every religion and even communists. Plenty of martyrs who have died. Died for a cause. But none of their deaths bring salvation because their life is not marked by obedience. His life was marked by absolute total obedience to the will of his father. And that is the first statement that he makes in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9. He says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. This is the reason I have come. What? To do your will. In John chapter 5 and verse 30, he says, I can do nothing of myself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He said, I do not seek my own will. I seek the will of my Father. Even the death on the cross was in obedience to his Father. Death on the cross was in obedience to his father. In John chapter 10 and verse 18, he says, No one takes it from me. He says, My life. But I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from the father. What is the command I received from? Lay your life down and then take it up on the other side. And he says, I am dying as obedience to my father. I received it. Okay. So from the beginning of his entrance into human race till the end, his life is marked by obedience. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, which is the heart of his life. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. Remember, humility and obedience go together. True humility is always reflected in obedience. Always. He is humble, therefore he is obedient. If you are humble, you are obedient to the commands of God. His obedience was as important to us and to him too. As his death for our salvation. For often the problem, and this is Lent season, the whole world, the mainline churches, it's good, it's not a problem. If you want to keep Lent, keep Lent. Okay? No issues. But during this season, remember, because so often we look only at his death. But his life of obedience is as important to our salvation as his death. It was his obedience that led to that death. That's why scripture says he was obedient to the point of death. How was he obedient? He was obedient even to the point of death. That 
practices obedience. That's what destroyed the powers of darkness and stripped them of their power on the cross. Not just his death, but his obedience to the point of death. That dis- destroyed. A death without disobedience, with, without obedience would not have achieved any results on the cross. A death without obedience would not have achieved any results on the cross. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 9, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Let's go back to the first words and look at it once again. He's crying there. His prayers and supplication, vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. When he came in the flesh, he was offered two deaths. One is a death that comes through disobedience. The death that came through Adam. For everyone who is born in the flesh. Or, he is offered the death that comes through obedience. Two deaths. And he is crying here to protect him from the first death. Not the second. Second death, he is not killed because of sin. He is laying down his life and picking it up on his own because of obedience to the command of God. The first one, we die because we disobey God. Two deaths are offered and he's crying to his father to save him from the first one. From the first one. Okay. The life of obedience. He chose the second. All his Christ's tears and supplications was to see that he never ever disobeyed the Father even once in thought, in word or deed. And part of the first death. That is why scripture says he was tempted at all points, yet he did not sin. And scripture says there, he learned obedience. He learned, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he Suffer. He had to learn obedience at every stage. He had to learn obedience. And when his obedience was made perfect, verse 9 will say, when his obedience was made, having been perfected, when was his obedience made perfected? Unto death. Death on a cross. When it was made perfected, he became the author of the eternal salvation. For whom? For everyone. Who obey him. Like Abraham on Mount Moriah, he became the author of salvation. For everyone who will, because of this thing, Abraham becomes a source of blessing to all nations because of his obedience. Jesus becomes the author of salvation to those who obey him. This is a struggle we face, which he faces too. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet Without sin. He was tempted. Tested. When we look at that word temptation, every temptation ultimately, different kinds of temptation, every temptation ultimately is a temptation to disobey God. Unless you see temptation in that light, you will not really fight every temptation. 
every temptation is ultimately a temptation to disobey God. The result is sin. The result is sin. But the purpose behind the temptation of the devil is what? That we disobey God, the voice of God, the commands of God, the revealed will of God. The purpose behind every temptation, small or big, the purpose is what? To disobey the voice of God. The purpose of Satan's temptation in the garden was to disobey, get man to disobey God's one command. Every temptation, whether in the flesh, in the soul or in the spirit, the purpose is to get us to disobey God. Therefore, there is much suffering in obedience. Because when you have to obey, you have to do another's will. That is why bending the knee is so difficult. You have to do another's will, which means death to the self. So the question is, how did we all end up like this? Because of the disobedience of one man, Abraham, sorry, Adam. Romans 5.19 says, first part says, Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgressor who is the type of him who was to come. How did it happen? Because of the disobedience of one man. One man. And the result of it is death. Cause and effect. 5.14. So it was not 5.14. Actually I asked uh, 5.19. Yeah. For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. One man's disobedience. One man's disobedience. Many were made sinners. And 5.14 will say, the result is what? Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam. Though those had not sinned according to the likeness of Adam. Though we did not eat like Adam from the tree, the results for everybody is the same. Why? The reason we were all in Adam. So all who were born in Adam had to go through two aspects of sin. Two aspects of this one, you are born in sin. That's what David will say in Psalm 51. I was shaped in iniquity and born conceived in sin. I'm born in sin because I am. I was in Adam. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. Second, second thing understand. We not only are born with that nature... Power in us, in that nature, is the power of disobedience. Not the power of obedience. It's the power of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. And he made us alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. It is not only we inherited Satan, said Adam's sin nature, which came through the devil, listening to the voice of the devil, but we also had the power of disobedience. In Titus 3.3, again scripture will say, we ourselves, we are also once foolish, disobedient. We were disobedient. That is it. We not only inherited Adam's nature, sin nature, fallen nature, because Adam sinned, we also received Adam's tendency to disobey God. Built in, not to obey, but to disobey. You will hear even the smallest kid of mine. Where did it come from? Somebody taught it? No. We were all in Adam. We also became partakers of his disobedience. 
in the same token when we believe in Jesus and we turn away from our works and to Jesus alone we are accepted in him earlier we were condemned in adam now we are accepted in christ we have christ righteousness only by virtue of by being in him that is our difficulty no we all say intellectually we agree but truly honestly can we agree there is nothing good in me because even the good in me is empowered by the spirit of disobedience that's why god says that your righteousness is like filthy rags before me your righteousness it doesn't say your bad deeds it's empowered by what empowered by the power of disobedience the devil also if he wants can do a lot of good he does but it is not to glorify god it's it's not out of obedience ulterior motive is different so we are redeemed in christ as we were condemned in adam part 2 if disobedience followed naturally because i was in adam then obedience should follow naturally now that i am in christ if disobedience followed me naturally when i was in adam then obedience should follow me naturally now that i am in christ understand that it should it shouldn't become an unnatural thing for us to obey it should now actually become natural for us to obey and unnatural for us to disobey that we are excited when we obey and we actually broken when we disobey earlier that that was not there that wasn't there it was the ulta when we had to obey we were broken and we enjoyed when we disobeyed but it is the other way around remember the root of all sin is disobedience the root of all sin is disobedience sin is what is visible the effect okay what causes sin is disobedience so jesus the first purpose of his salvation was to cut away that evil root and restore man to his original purpose so what is he doing okay through his death he's taking care of sin and the effect of sin that is death but through his life he's cutting at the root of sin what is that disobedience so when i partake of the life of jesus christ i am partaking a life of obedience what causes sin When I partake of the death of Jesus Christ I am cutting away all the effects of sin and of death in my life but people only during this season especially partake and remember the death of Jesus Christ they forget the life of Jesus Christ it is the life that cuts at the root the life of Jesus Christ is the life of obedience the devil always wants us to shame us that it is a humiliation basically to live under the will of somebody the will of god jesus came to show us that it is glorious to live under the will of god the beauty and the blessedness of obedience everything that you see in the world now is hatred 
to the obedience to God and his structure. Everything that you are seeing is a hatred to the structure okay, of God. Even today, the day that is being celebrated today. What is today? It's a struct- it is aimed at God's structure. Basically, at the core. This is not from godly women or anything. These are all from anti-God feminists who are raising all these things up. Honestly, everything that you see in the world, everything that you see in the world is against God and his structure. Because, why should woman this thing? Because it is humiliating to be under the subjection of a father or a husband. That's the whole idea. It's humiliation. It is not. It's glorious. If Jesus could come and be subject to his father in everything, isn't it glorious? He was subject to his father as a woman is subject to her father. Absolutely. He was even more. He didn't do one thing outside the will of his father. Every time he just obeyed the voice of his father. So is subjection beautiful or is subjection... It's not about being subject to evil. It's not about... They are not even distinguishing between evil and good. They say subjection is bad. Subjection is bad. That's what he saw on the t-shirt. I don't bend my knee to anyone. But when you don't bend your knee to anyone, you have actually bent your knee to the devil. One great man of God says this way, Christ's life of obedience was threefold. First, he was a living example of what obedience was. There were many before him, but even Moses failed when it came to complete obedience. So Jesus becomes the example for us what is perfect obedience. Even Moses could not. That's why he could not enter the promised land. Okay? His obedience was not complete. Jesus becomes the perfect example of what perfect obedience is. Second, through his perfect obedience, he becomes the guarantor. Through his obedience to fulfill righteousness for all of us. Moses could not do that. Moses could not. Though Moses said if my name was taken away and there this thing and all. But he could not himself enter into the promised land. It was just wishful thinking. But Jesus becomes the guarantor through his perfect obedience. Through his perfect obedience, God, anyone who comes through Christ Jesus, he says, okay, I count you righteous. Why? Because my son's obedience is perfect. That is why we need to realize if Jesus' obedience was not perfect, it doesn't matter how much you call upon the name of Jesus, the Lord, the Father will not count us righteous. Will not count us righteous. He says, I look at my son, I look at his perfect obedience and I count you righteous because you are coming through him. You are coming through him. Third, when we are placed in him by new birth, he would impart in us a new nature that would love God and obey Him to the uttermost. That is what Romans 5.17 means. For if by one man's offense death reigned through that one, much more those who receive an abundance of grace and the gift. First what do we receive? Gift of righteousness. We are saved by grace. And then an abundance Abundance of grace. For what? So that we can reign in life. It's a life of obedience. Reign in life through Jesus Christ. Reign in life. If through Adam death reigned, in Christ what reigns? Life reigns. 
But first I receive the gift of righteousness. And then abundance of grace, the power of the Holy Spirit to obey so that I can reign in life. This is inseparable. To receive Christ means to receive his obedience. To receive Christ means to receive his obedience. We preach half the gospel. Receive Christ. But we do not talk to people about receiving his obedience. In Romans chapter 6, especially verse 16, actually the whole chapter. Do you not know that whom you present yourself has slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. He says you become slaves through obedience. Slaves of righteousness through obedience. Obedience unto leading to righteousness. If obedience made Jesus the object of the Father's love, in John 10 and verse 17, therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life. Why does my Father love me? Because I'm obedient to his commands, to the point to lay down my life. My Father loves me. He says in John chapter 14 and verse 21, no, 21, not 17, 21, he who has my commandments and keep them, it is he who loves me. Okay. He who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest to himself. Okay. Is he who loves me. Okay. Now our problem is God loves us. God loves everybody. God loves the whole world and God loves his children. But we are not able to experience God's love which is experiential, is because we don't have his commandments and we don't keep them. Therefore, we don't experience his love. There is something called having his commandment and there is something called keeping them. Having his commandments. If you remember the Jerusalem council, when the Gentiles came into the kingdom of God, they said, don't burden them. Don't burden them. What? There's a bache hai. Don't burden them. He says, give them two or three commandments. What? Don't eat strangled. Don't worship idols. Two, three. Just three. They were given two or three commandments and now they had to give. That does, does that mean the Gentiles had only three commands? No. After that, the book of Romans begins. Okay. It begins. But once you have the three and you keep them, God leads you to more, to more, and to more, and to more. What do you experience? You experience that you are loved by your father. You experience the love of the father. There's no doubt, am I saved today? Tomorrow I am saved because I'm feeling good. Today I'm not feeling saved. Always swinging between this. It's all feelings. Because they are not able to, I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. It's experiential. It's real. That's what God is talking about. He says, you can dwell in my love. When we are born again, yes, righteousness is a gift given by faith. But it is lived. After that, it is lived. And we become servants of righteousness. And it becomes more and more intense, our desire to obey God. Now the problem is when everybody sitting over here says, yes, I will obey God. I want to obey God. Really? But the problem is you cannot obey God without obeying man. That's where our problem comes. 
For Jesus, obedience was not one act or a series of act. It was a life principle. That's what he said in Hebrews 10, 11. Lo, I have come to do your will. Behold, I have come to do you. It's my life principle. What I have come here for? To do your will. What have you come here for? To do your will, O oh God. I have come to do your will. And that power, that desire controlled him. And goes to obedience. If that is not there in us, that's where it begins. I want to do your will. Don't ever think it's impossible with man. There are other men in the Bible who also did what he did. Not to his level, but they understood that the intense desire came. He's willing to make it so in any one of us. And makes it very clear in Matthew 12 and verse. Who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister and mother. He says you will understand that one thing that binds the family together. The common thing. What is it? The will of the father. Okay. Now you cannot speak about that in human terms. But remember patriarchy is what is the one which is attacked most. But if you look in the Bible and you look in the ancient biblical days, it was the will of the father that ran in the house. The will of the father. And in the house, the brother, the sister, the mother, everybody did the will of the father. And now they are changing, the governments are changing, laws are all changing because my father is there, my mother gets my father's name, my brothers all get my father's name, my sisters also get my father's name. Everybody has the father's name. They don't get the mother's name. Everybody got your father's name, right? It was understood. But now governments are saying you don't have to be. You can put your mother's name also. You can have no name also. Even in India, many states have changed the rules. You need a concentrated attack on the actual father in heaven. From whom every family gets its name. You need to understand and don't get carried away by all the isms in the world. The attack is against the father in heaven. And and his structure. The attack is against him. And to do whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He says, you understand. He says, the link in a family is common life shared by all. And the life starts, flows from the father. That's what is proven to us in scripture through the life of Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 6, he asked one question, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's your will for me? What do you want me to do? That's the first question this man asks. Okay. It's a surrendered life from there. It's a surrendered life that goes into the city. It's a surrendered life that goes into the city. This is the feature we see in Jesus' obedience too. A surrendered life. Second part of a surrendered life, obedient life, Psalm 40 and verse 8, which is the quote you have in Hebrews 10, 9. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. What do I do to do your will? I delight to do your will. I delight to do your will. Do we delight? It is not just enough to do the will of God. There are many people who grit their teeth and do the will of God. That's not Jesus. Jesus is delighted to do the will of God. 
delight. He was, he was. Okay. Please don't misunderstand sisters sitting over here and men sitting over. Oh, the will of God is to go like Apostle Paul and preach. No, submit your husband in all things as unto the Lord. Do you delight to do it? That's the will of God for you. Do you delight to do it? Husbands, love your wives as Christ Jesus loved by the washing of the water by the... Do you delight to do it? Then suddenly you realize, I don't. I don't. I don't. Children, obey your parents. I don't. Suddenly delight is gone. We super spiritualize all this without making it practical. God says, it, you, will, you will not even move any further to know and to have my commands. He says, my son obeyed, was subject to his earthly parents all the days of his life. Until he shifted. He was. And we struggled. He was obedient. The will of God is interplayed in our relationships on earth. In every relationship there is obedience. There is an obedience to a command of God. Anything you do, whether you are a child, you are a husband, you are a wife, you are an employee, you are an employer, everything is covered by the book word. God has a command or commands for everything. The question is, one, do you accept that as a will of God? Two, do we delight to do it is the question. In John chapter 4 and verse 38, Jesus said, to do the will of the Father is meat. 37. Okay, 37. Okay. Okay. Sammy? Yeah, 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his. He says, my food. My food. What does food do? Food gives us strength and nourishment. He says, I delight my joy and my strength is to do the will of him who sent me. That's where I get my strength from. My joy and my strength. My joy and my strength. Are we getting the picture? Joy is represented by honey. Strength is represented by milk. And I'm taking you to a land that will be flowing with milk and honey, your joy and your strength, O Israel, will be when you do my will in Canaan. Nobody will be able to withstand you all the days of your life. That's exactly what he's saying. I delight to do your will, O God. And he says, my food, my meat, is to do the will of my Father. It's not only, it's not only delight, it's also the source of our strength. Will Apostle Paul tell us that? In Philippians 4.4, 4, the most well-known of his verses, what is that? Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Always. Again I say rejoice. Sitting in the prison, in chains, in bondage, yet free. And he's saying, I delight, O Lord, to do your will. I delight to do your will. Delight to do your will. My meat is to do your work. Read the last two lines of the book of Acts. The last two lines. He's finally, his travels are all over. He's reached Rome and he's waiting for his trial before Caesar. And he has to hire his own house, pay his own rent and he's under house arrest. Can you imagine your predicament? You're waiting. How many years it will take? You don't know. What does the last two verses of Acts say? And when he had said this, 
Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. That's how his story ends in the book of Acts. Okay, Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. He can't go out, so people came. And he's still doing the will of God. Right there in Rome. Under the protection of the Caesar. How wonderful. God says, now nobody will beat you. Nobody will beat you. You are under house arrest. It will make two years or three years to meet Caesar, but you can have visitors. And visitors are coming in daily for Bible study. He can't go out. My meat, my meat is to do your will, O God. This is where my strength comes from. Understand. And also, obedience will lead to patience or waiting. If you study Jesus' life, God did not reveal his whole will to Christ at once. Nor will he to any one of us. There is progression in his life of obedience. And there should be progression in our life of obedience. Once obedience becomes primary in our life, then God is able to speak to us concerning his will for us. Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. He says, I realize I don't have to do all these things. I don't have to offer burnt offerings and sin offerings and peace offerings and do all these terrible sacrifices. But my ears will be opened because... I said, behold, I have come. For what? To do your will. In the volume, I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is in my heart. And verse 7, behold, in the volume of the book, it is written about him. Let me ask you the question. In the same way, behold, in the volume of his book, is written about everyone. You want to find the will of God? He will open your ears from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. He will speak to you. This is what you need to do. This, 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 this. If you just keep surrendering to the will of God, the whole book is the will of Christ, is the will for everyone in Christ. Every book. The whole. But it is only opened as we progress in obedience. That's what he's saying. His ears were opened. In Christ... It is an obedience unto death. Not to die, but unto death. In John chapter 6 and verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And you will see at the end in Mark 14 and verse 36, he will say, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. It's an obedience unto death. Father, if you can, I know all things are possible. You can take it away from me. I'm not telling you take it away from me. If you were to give in to my will, I will say that, take it away from me. But I want to surrender to you will that if it is not to take it away from me, it's fine me. This obedience was what carried him through. This same obedience he wants to impart in those who are willing to obey. That is what makes them overcome us. Is obedience that makes us overcome us in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. They overcame him, the devil, the tempter, 
the tempter who brings all temptations to disobey God by the blood of the Lamb. By the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Meaning they were obedient unto death. Same, no other method. The blood of the Lamb. What is the blood of the Lamb? His obedience unto death. Their testimony is exactly the same. And they also did not love their lives. Are we getting the picture? There is no other way. God has chosen. But there there should be delight in it. There should be joy in it. And each day, if we don't delight to do the will of God in little, little, little things, and we fight, we have to keep going back. Keep back. The most important part of Christ's obedience by, is by faith in the relying, in relying on the power of God. He's not doing it on his own strength. He's not doing it because he's a son of God. Then we would have no example. He came as a son of man in the flesh. But in John 5 verse 30 he will say, I can of myself do nothing. What does it mean? He says, I have made myself completely powerless like any one of you. I can do of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. How do I judge? How do I make judgments in my life? How do I make decisions in my life? As I hear, I hear from my father. Very clearly hear my father. As I hear, I make my decisions. And my judgment is righteous. I know my decisions, my perceptions, my understanding, my judgments are absolutely righteous in God's sight. Why? Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. I do not seek. He says, if you want to hear from God clearly each day, the simple thing is that don't seek your own will. If you seek your own will, you cannot hear from God. Simple. We all reach a stalemate. We don't go any further. We don't go any further. And we get confused. We get, because we may have received a gift from God. There are different gifts of God, of the Spirit. We may be exercising those gifts. And the gift may be working very well. But, we are still doing our own will and not the will of the Father. We are confusing one for the other. Confusing one for the other. This is the danger. Especially we, Pentecostals, are caught in. In John 14 and verse 30, he said, I will not, okay, no. Not, not that one. Not one. The son's unconditional surrender to the father's will also led to the Father's unconditional release of the Spirit into his life. You see that in John 3 and verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. What is he saying? He says, if you surrender to God unconditionally, you will also receive the Spirit without without condition, to do the will of God. You don't have to worry. The same truth is spoken in Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. We are his witnesses to these things and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. First act of obedience, we receive the Holy Spirit. As we progress in obedience, he gives us the Holy Spirit more and more. Why? Because what he asks us to do as we grow in obedience is not going to be less difficult, it's going to be more difficult. 
more difficult. So we don't need, we cannot go on less of the spirit. We need more of the spirit. Obedience leads to more usefulness in the kingdom. Obedience leads to God asking more and more difficult things from us. But we cannot do it in our strength. We can only do it as he did it in the strength of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. So as it is written about Jesus in Hebrews 5.8, it has to be written also about us. We learn obedience by the things which we suffer. By the things which we suffer. Where is suffering? Where is suffering? When? We have to do another's will. It's the only time. If you have to do your own will, do you suffer? Imagine you are today, you get a text from your office, your manager says, you don't have to come to work tomorrow. You can work from your home tomorrow. You can do whatever work you want, whatever, whichever way you want, and you will get double your salary at the end of the month. You will say, hallelujah, Lord, this is what I was looking for. My breakthrough has come. But what are you doing? Why are you so excited? Because they have released everything to your will. Do what you want. Even if you bring us no result at all, we still give you a salary. We'll say, wow, this is a good deal. Where does suffering come? Suffering come. Because we have to obey someone else, somebody else. That's where suffering comes. The man's suffering comes because he has to obey God. Search God, find God, hear from God and obey God. For the woman suffering comes because she has to obey her man. For children suffering comes because they have to obey their parents. For employee the problem comes because he has to obey the employer. The employer, his employer. He go, 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 there is nobody. Even dictators live in fear. Even the dictator is not free because he knows somebody could kill me. That's why Kim Song's brother also, half-brother also got killed. He's always scared who is waiting there to kill me. There is nobody who lives without fear other than the man who fears God. The man who fears God and obeys God lives without fear. The woman who fears God and obeys God lives without fear. Scripture is very clear about it. Absolutely clear about it. Absolutely. We'll come to that as we close. That is why scripture says, yes, it is one thing to surrender. Lord, I will do your will, but I cannot do it. I surrender. Now give me power. I surrender. And I will surrender every day. I cannot do it on my own. I need your power. And God has promised this in his, in his word. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 to 9, he says, and the Lord your God, who will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with that you may love. Also the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. You will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I commanded you. Leave verse 7 out, but if you look, God says, I will circumcise your heart. You surrender. I will do it. You surrender more, more I will circumcise. The more you surrender, more I will circumcise. The more you surrender, the more I will take the flesh and the world out. And as a result, what will happen? 
you will love god with all your heart i will cause it second you will obey the voice of the lord and all his commandments which i command today and the lord your god will make you abound in all the work of your hand in the fruit of your body in the increase of your livestock in the produce of your land for good for the lord will again rejoice over you for good as he has rejoiced over your fathers it's god who does it it's not we we cannot but there is something which we have to do our job is to daily surrender to his will and then he starts doing the work through us in ezekiel 36 and verse 27 he says i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways in my statute i will put my spirit but he cannot put his spirit in until i surrender until i obey he puts his the holy spirit is given to those who obey when i obey one thing he has told then he puts his spirit into me and i am able to obey two things when i obey two things he puts more of his spirit in i will put my spirit within you cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and you will do them you will keep it and you will do them some of you may go from here with heavy hearts because we love our own will and having our own way and not your way but there are only two choices my will or his will no third choice what is it said today is women's day international women's or women's day whatever you want to call it but what is said about the women in the bible the holy women in the bible first peter chapter 3 rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the in corruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of god he says if you want to look beautiful in god's eyes he says be meek and lowly he says be humble he says he's looking for meek and lowly and humble for in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in god also adorned themselves how did they adorn themselves how did the holy women of the past adorn themselves they adorned themselves with a gentle and a quiet spirit how was it manifested in their lives by their submission to their own husbands there is a humility within and there is an obedience that is outside and verse 6 says yeah verse 6 as sarah obeyed as abraham obeyed god sarah obeyed abraham obeyed god and calling him lord whose daughters you are if you do good and not afraid there's no fear there's no fear for a woman like that there's no fear because she know she's meek she she's lowly and she submissive and she obeys her husband there's nothing to fear that is the message for the international women's day will hillary receive this all the women of the world were all holding placards and off work today to protest trump they're taking leave today what is your liberty what is your freedom let the worldly people do that but can christian people do that no you cannot because scripture says honor your leaders it's god who appoints leaders both obama and trump was appointed by god for his own purposes both you don't buck the system you don't 
may agree or disagree with their policies, but you don't revolt. Russian communism did not come down because of armed revolt. It came down because of the prayer of his people. 75 years, God said it's over and it came down. In one day it came down. Nobody had to shoot. One, one bullet was not needed. It came down. That's how it should come down. Everything will come down in God's time. God's people don't have to fight battles in any nation, everything. There is a day set for that by God. He will take vengeance on his enemies. We do not wage war in our homes, in our lives, or in our nations like the flesh, self-willed people do. No, we don't. It's the will of God. It is the will of God. So whatever you are, married, unmarried, man or woman, the only way out of this trap into which Adam brought us is the way the second Adam showed us, the last Adam showed us. What is the way? Here I come to do your will of God. And I delight to do your will. I will do it cheerfully. I love doing your will. Whatever it is, this man of God who said that, if God were to tell one of the angels, one of the, not the fallen ones, one of the other angels, two of them call and say, one, you go rule India and you go clean the sewage, both will do with equal enthusiasm. Same joy. The fellow who is asked to clean the drain won't do with a long face. The fellow who is called to rule will not do it with a happy face. Both do with equal excitement because they are doing the will of God. So it doesn't matter what you do. The fact is that Lord, I am doing your will. I delight to do your will. That's what his son was showing us 30 years of which maybe around 20 years or 25 years as a carpenter. First 10-15 years picking up pieces of wood for his earthly father. Picking, what are you doing? Doing the will of my father. Do you delight to do it? Of course I delight to do it. And I'm doing the best job I can to do the will of God. Think about it. Which one of us would do something like that as the will of the father? Can you imagine? Mary calling a hundred times, Yeshua, can you get this? Yes, Mama, Yeshua, call Moses, call Joseph, call Jude. They won't even wake up. He's got younger brothers. They won't. Does he have younger brothers? Yeah, Joseph, Joseph is there. Jacob is there. They're all there, his younger brothers. None of them will listen. They're all rebels. That is why on the first time when you see in the world, Mary is coming to Jesus and says, Jesus, there is no wine. Because she's used to this man always obeying. Oh, get me that bucket of water. He goes, Father calls, bring me this. He goes, no issues. Boy, I'm the son of God. I delight to do your will, God. And we think he's delighting in his will was to go out and preach only three and a half years. The rest was at home. And he delighted to do it. Delight. That's what God is talking about. If we are not obedient in those little things, how can God speak to us bigger things? How can God speak to us things that really pertain to our future and our eternity? That's why you are faithful in few things. If you are not faithful in those little things, how can he put us in trust in charge of big things? You know, We are all like Moses. I am ready. 40. Let me lead. God said, you go sit there for 40 years in the backyard. You are not ready at all. No, I am learned. I am smart. God said, you are useless. So, sit at the back. 40 years. Father-in-laws. Go to your mic. Stay there. <laughs> okay. Take care of your fathers, father-in-law, not even your fathers. Because father means you will say, that's my father's sheep. Not even that I will let you. You have to say, who says that? My father-in-law is good. Forty years. He 
is humble, he is meek. Those 40 years made him humble and meek. And he's ready to obey God. Obey God. He's such a weakling by the end of 40 years. And meek man. Now all he needs is the power of God. And he's ready to go. So, okay. I told in Ranchi, I told. So as I close, let me tell, tell them because I haven't told you that. I told them, sisters, because in many states different things happen. I said, sisters, be very careful about this. God has his way of humbling men. If you are too strong. Because Moses was very strong and Jacob was strong. And because Moses was double as strong as Jacob. So Jacob spent 20 years in his father-in-law's house. Jacob fought Moses 40 years. They had to be humble that way. But problem what happens is God is humbling that man. You, his wise, humble yourself even lower. Be careful. Otherwise, God will use this humble man and remove you out of the picture as he removed Zipporah and Rachel. Because you thought that you could rule over your husband. God said, Rachel, you will not reach Bethlehem. And he said, Zephora, move out. And Moses, take the Cushite woman. And Zephora is not the Cushite woman. She is a Midianite. He said, move her out and take the next one and go along with her. God says, be very careful. Do not play with the ways of God. Play with the ways of God. Just because your husband stays in your father's house doesn't make you the boss. He still is the head. He's still the, he's the head. And we know that on the way to Egypt, Zipporah has to circumcise the second son, the son, because she wouldn't let Moses circumcise the children. So people have to understand the ways of God. That is where freedom comes. That is why Sarah has picked up. And I'm telling you, no woman sitting here will ever go through what Sarah went through because of Abraham. None of you will be sold to another man by your husband. None of you will be. That's what Abraham did with Sarah twice. And she said, yes, my Lord. And God said, she is holy in my sight. I will reach out and see no one touches her. No one. She will never buck what her husband says. That's law for her. None of us will ever go through that. Ever. And he says, she's beautiful. She's an adornment in my sight. Understand scripture. Understand what obedience means in the kingdom of God. If you're meek, he was humble and he was obedient. So ask ourselves, as a man, am I? I told, I, I told the, the pastor, I told the men, I told the pastors to, what are husbands called to do? Husbands are called to cleanse their wives by the washing of the water of the word. That is gentle, right? Not the fire hose. Right? The husband's job is not to beat up his wife, which most Indian husbands, many Indian husbands do. That's not your husband's. I said, do you know the discipline of the church is not by Jesus, it is by the Father. The discipline of the church is by the Father. Who is disciplining his children? What is Jesus doing? Even now he is standing with the hands upraised, interceding for his wife, not beating her up. Because he is the husband. But the father is disciplining, the husband is interceding. He's, by his ministry of his word, he's cleansing, he's making his wife blameless. That's only if his wife receives the word. But he doesn't do the disciplining, the disciplining is done by God, the father. This is where we need to understand scripture and how scripture plays out. And that is when we obey, we receive our freedom and we receive our life. And that is Jesus says, that's how you abide in my love. 
Instead, what do men do? They beat up their wives, black and blue, and says, I am the head, I am the this thing. If you don't do this, is what I will do. They have not become a husband, they have become the father. Let me ask you this question. Read Nehemiah. What did Nehemiah do? He beat up people, pulled their beard, what all did he? Did he achieve anything? Ultimately, no. Ezra just took the word and he just read the word and people started crying and weeping and suddenly there is revival in Israel. Who brought revival? Nehemiah or Ezra? It's Ezra who brought revival because the gentleness of Jesus came through Ezra while the violence was through Nehemiah. That's not how you deal. That's not how you deal. We learn from scripture the ways of God. Our freedom, individual freedom lies in hearing the voice of God and obeying His commandments. Hearing and obeying. Hearing and obeying. And God says, you don't worry. Your enemies will never stand, withstand you. They cannot. They'll always fail before you. I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Even behold, Satan will be under your feet, not above. He will not be able to affect your walk. You can walk with me. That is the key. That is to what God is calling us. That's Women's Day for you. Okay, young ladies? Shall we pray? Father, this evening, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you. Father, help us not to ever conform to the pattern of this world, which is empowered by the Spirit that works in those who are rebellion, in rebellion and disobedient. We want to conform to the pattern of your kingdom through the mind of Christ. And we want your Holy Spirit to work in us more and more and more as each day passes. Because we know, Lord, your coming is getting closer by the second. And you are coming for those who are obedient, those who are willing, those who delight to do your will. You are coming for those who are surrendered to you each day. Help us to be part of that, Lord. By daily surrendering our lives, into your hands. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Come against every spirit of rebellion in any in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I command every spirit of rebellion to leave in Jesus' name. And I pray, Father, you will cause us to walk in your ways. That you would circumcise our hearts. That we might love you truly love you with all our heart, with all our might, with all our strength. That to obey you will be our delight and our joy. That we will abide in your love, experience you each day, the love of the Father. And we will know, Lord, that Jesus, you are cleansing us daily by the washing of the water by the word. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. As we go back home, reach us safely, Lord, everyone, to their dwelling place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.